If you have your own story of being in a cult or a high control group, or if you've had experience with manipulation or abuse of power that you'd like to share, leave us a message on our hotline number at 347-86-TRUST. That's 347-868-7878. Or shoot us an email at trustmepod at gmail.com. Trust me. Dude, you trust me. Trust me. I'm like a smart person. I've never lied to you. I never have lied to you. If you think that one person has all the answers, don't. Welcome to Trust Me, the podcast about cults, extreme belief, and manipulation from two salad eaters who've actually experienced it. I'm Lola Blanc. And I'm Megan Elizabeth. The truth is I actually never eat salad. I have a problem where I don't eat vegetables and I'm working on it, but not that hard. That's okay. You don't need them. Sure. (laughs) Today, our guest is Ashley Lovich, survivor of narcissistic abuse and host of the podcast, The Narc and Me. She's going to talk to us about some of the subtle tactics narcissists use to gain control in their relationships like future faking and word salad and what separates an abusive narcissistic relationship from a regular shitty relationship and how the label isn't as important as the behavior. Mm, She'll talk to us about her own experiences being in a relationship with a narcissist, how her partner uprooted her life and made her think she needed to be checked for Alzheimer's, the holiday experience that led her to leave him, and the importance, as always, of setting boundaries. That's right. Boundaries. Boundaries. Woo! We should do a boundaries episode, actually, like what that actually means and looks like. I think that would be great. Megan, before we dive in, what's your cultiest thing? Um, you know, I've been reading a little bit this week about the new Elizabeth Holmes. You remember Elizabeth Holmes, the woman who got mm-hmm. everybody to invest in Theranos with the voice. Yes, yes, the woman with the very real voice. Um, there's a new, <laughs> there's a new Elizabeth in town. Her name is Charlie. She's being sued for a lot of money by J.P. Morgan. They allege that she told them she had 4.25 million subscribers to her educational app, but she actually only had like a very tiny fraction of that. She paid a company $18,000 to pad uh, <gasps> a couple million extra people. Oh my and God. then when the bank emailed all the customers, they said that only 28% of the emails actually went through to real people. The rest no. bounced back. And so her defense, her lawyer is saying, no, they knew those were fake emails. They just wanted to see what it would look like to send the emails, which doesn't make sense. But I'm going to trust that maybe our girl boss knew what she was doing. But I think <laughs> it might be another case of people going in hard of the cult of the shiny tech companies that look so good. So we all just yeah. have to be careful. And faking your followers and subscribers. That yeah. is a r- r- real, real thing. Yeah. Another woman, she this is a story worth looking up. I don't remember enough of it to give a lot of details, but she was living in Las Vegas. She stole $10 million from her company by getting huge loans. She did have money, but she didn't have enough money for that kind of loans. But she was posting Lamborghini pictures, watch pictures. Mm. They're not hers, but it looks like it's hers. And so right. there's just this world of... um crime being committed right now through just faking it and it's crazy i mean and then we reward them well, by yeah. giving them tv shows yeah. so like i don't know i don't know is it dumb either you go to jail or you get a tv show possibly both mm. are you Not- are you speaking of like the twinder swindler uh well yes him but also what's her face did i just call it the twi- crazy twinder <laughs> Find your twin on Twinder. <laughs> you know, Field used to be called Thrinder because it was for threesomes, but okay. then Tinder sued them. Anyway, oh, Anna Delvey, right? Yeah. Anna Delvey. 
Ah, uh, yeah, we totally should. I mean, I hate I hate this about our culture so much, but I understand why if you don't really have a conscience, you're like, yeah, faking it fucking works. Why would I like and even if I get caught, like people will just think I'm interesting. Yeah, so. it's like what we talked about last week where they char- they like ch- find the Mormon church five million dollars for like embezzling for 51 mil- billion. Yeah. It's like, OK, thanks. I'm in trouble. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, punish me. Here you go. Um, We're just giving the bad people so many ideas right now. God. Well, that's that's what the show is all about. <laughs> <laughs> What about you? What's the cultiest thing that happened to you this week? I don't know. I mean, it's funny because I I feel like this episode is actually relevant to what I'm talking about, which is narcissistic abuse is a very real thing. There are people who genuinely like are abusing people in this way and don't have a conscience. However, Mm -hmm. there are some terms that are being pulled from psychology and being overused to such a degree that it's like making me uncomfy to even talk pop psychology stuff lately. Mm-hmm. There's really good information in this interview, so no shade to this particular interview, but I'm just like culturally speaking, TikTok, wherever it is, there's so much overdiagnosis from people who are really not qualified. And it's just that same thing of like wanting to organize the world. Yeah. And like it can be so useful to have a label for something that's happened to you, but sometimes what's happened to you is just regular old conflict. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, of course, I'm reading this book called um, Conflict is Not Abuse, which is part of why this is on my mind. Uh Um, Have you heard of this? No. Yeah, it's by this woman, um, uh, Sarah Shulman. It's called, the longer longer title is Conflict is Not Abuse, Overstating Harm, Community Responsibility, and the Duty of Repair. Mm -hmm. So she actually comes from the social justice world. She's very, she's just a very humanistic perspective. Nice. But it is about how, like, we can get confused and think that, like, if we're uncomfortable or if we feel bad, that must mean that somebody is abusing us when that is obviously not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, it can be such a hard thing to to parse because you also don't want to take responsibility when somebody is actually abusing you. That's obviously their responsibility. So I understand the confusion. I understand the desire to label. But I do think we get into dangerous territory when anyone who does something we don't like is a narcissist, a sociopath. They're doing this buzzword. They're doing that buzzword. You know what I mean? So that's just like a cultural thing. But I think our audience is quite mindful of that at this point. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I'm just trying to navigate it all and find where the middle truth lies. (sighs) Yeah. It's a bumpy, it's a bumpy raft ride, but we're trying. The truth is out there, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what I always say. Ah, that's beautiful. (laughs) Is is that from (laughs) Up? (laughs) It's clearly from (laughs) X-Files. I didn't have a TV, Lola. I never saw any of this stuff. Let's go to the interview. Okay. There's nothing worse than going to a doctor's appointment, expecting to be the center of attention, and then your doctor seems like they have better things to do and better places to be. Instead of listening to you intently, asking you how you feel, and helping you along, the doctor is checking the clock. On ZocDoc, you'll find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you, and prioritize your care. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. As someone who 
who gets weird little infections that I don't need to go into the doctor for every single time. Personally, I freaking love online doctors. This is a thing that has been good for me. Love it. Surprise twists might work for podcasts, but maybe not for medical care. With ZocDoc, there are no alarms and no surprises. So choose from thousands of patient-reviewed doctors and specialists, browse doctor profiles, upload and verify your insurance information, and get the care you need. Go to ZocDoc.com slash trust me and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash trust me. ZocDoc.com slash trust me. Welcome, Ashley Levitch, to Trust Me. Thanks. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. Hello. Beautiful day to talk about narcissists. What day right? isn't yeah. a beautiful day to talk <laughs> about narcissists, really? You have a podcast. You have a podcast called The Narc and Me. And can you please tell us what made you want to start this podcast? It's funny. I didn't want to. <laughs> yes, I'm happy tell you the narc in me the title is actually a double entendre so it's not just a story of me and and my ex-narcissist that might get boring quickly however it's that you know anybody could be the me and it's their narcissist and I started doing videos on TikTok and it wasn't because I wanted to share my story it was I own a digital marketing agency I needed to learn the platform and to be honest, I didn't know what to talk about and I had no followers. And all of my team were like, got it. I don't want to learn TikTok. And <laughs> That's you know, me. I was like, I'm the oldest one. Why am I doing this? But they were like, oh, no, it's all you, sis. So I just started talking. I, no one was following me. I thought it was just safe to talk. And I was newly no contact and in kind of a really weird place and healing and still heavily traumatized. And then all of a sudden videos just started getting 2000 plays, 20,000 plays, a hundred thousand plays. And people would ask me to keep going. And I called a friend who owns a podcast company. My podcast is on action park media. My friend Kevin owns it. And I said, people keep asking me to do a podcast. I'm calling you as a phone a friend to give me all the reasons not to. <laughs> like such an you know empath. I felt bad just saying no with no data, no research on all the reasons why I shouldn't do it. But my gut instinct said, it's oversaturated. Don't do it. Don't bother. You have enough on your plate. And I called Kev and he first, which I thought was sweet, wanted to know if I was okay and how I was doing. And I had no idea that he had suddenly become glued to my TikTok videos. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, why are you watching? Uh, but he was, and he's like, I want to make sure you're okay. And second of all, I think you should do a podcast and I want you to do it with me. And so here I am now I have a podcast. <laughs> wow. What a journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, It wasn't that I just wanted to do a podcast, but you know what? It's, if it's helping people, I'll keep talking about narcissism as long as I need to so that people find themselves more aware because I was not. Yeah. It's a hot topic right now. I feel like people are probably either becoming more narcissistic <laughs> or I, I, I don't know what. Or more aware. Or more aware of it. Exactly. Um I mean, TikTok is blowing up with narcissism stuff. What are the pros and cons of it? I, there has to be good sides and bad sides to that, I imagine. There's great, and you're right, there's some really pretty not-so-fun downsides. So I actually 
started watching other people's content before I started sharing my story. A friend, when I had first gone no contact and was a mess and was starting trauma therapy, had sent me a link to someone else's content. Right. And so the the upside is the education. And you're, to your point, it is a little bit everywhere right now, but I think it's because we have these platforms to talk about it. There's just more awareness. Narcissism isn't new. It's in Greek mythology with Narcissus and Echo. It was referenced in the Bible. It's been documented in the 1800s. So narcissism is definitely not new. Although I do think with social media and with just trauma and, you know, everything that people have experienced in the last 20 years that the numbers do seem to be growing based upon the research. But the upside is the education, and the awareness, because had I had TikTok, <laughs> you know, all those years before, I might have seen some of the signs when I got into the relationship and left versus being in it for five years and then having to deal with all the trauma after the downside is for lack of better words, the trolls, yeah. <laughs> you know, the downside is just the people who come on your page who are like, you know, you deserve it. What did you do? What's your level of accountability? And obviously I'm not really a big fan of survivor shaming. So for right. me, that's the downside. It, it takes some thick skin to, to do that. But usually other survivors end up ganging up on them. And then I just back away slowly. <laughs> yeah, for me, I obviously there are antisocial personality disorders, which it's a bit of a gray area in terms of what distinguishes them from each other and how scientific those distinctions are. But of course, they're real. We've experienced and we talk about it so much on this podcast. But one thing that I notice sometimes on the internet is that once you have a framework for understanding a certain like facet of relationships or life, sometimes it can be the lens through which you view like interactions that maybe it's not appropriate to categorize that way. Can you speak to like the difference between narcissistic abuse and just like a regular bad relationship? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously not every toxic relationship is narcissistic right, and narcissism yeah. is a spectrum. So even though we all have some traits of narcissism, it doesn't mean that every person you're going to be in a relationship is going to be like that. And, and I do say to people all the time, because I think when they're watching my content, sometimes there's a bit of self-diagnosis. Mm -hmm. They're checking those boxes, you know what I mean, of is this my partner? Mm -hmm. And I tell them all the time, they don't have to be a narcissist to be toxic. A toxic totally. relationship can just be one where you don't feel appreciated or you don't feel heard or, you know, there's physical abuse. There's so many different things that go into that bucket of toxic, which is a bummer, but there are so many different ways in which a relationship just isn't a good fit for you. Totally. It doesn't have to mean that they're a narcissist, but unfortunately, a lot of us, and far more than I would have ever expected, have encountered narcissists. I mean, I think most of us come out of it, and there's a whole lot of, was this just me? Like, am I the only one who's heard these things? That this couldn't possibly have happened to anybody else. Right. And then, <laughs> then you find out that you are not a party of one. I dated a man who I do not think was a clinical narcissist at all. But some of the results, yeah. but some of the results of our particular dynamic had a similar impact on me. Even though I do think he has empathy and is like in his heart a good person, I think we brought out the worst in each other. I think right. that is one of the situations in which like the sort of cultural overuse of the term could get a little hairy. But then I've also been in relationships where I did experience legitimate emotional abuse, legitimate gaslighting, right. and I felt completely crazy. And so I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how like 
When we hear abuse, at least for me, I grew up thinking the word abuse meant physical abuse. And I was very skeptical of people who would say they'd experienced abuse and they'd never been hit. Obviously, now I know better. But can you explain to us what narcissistic abuse or emotional abuse actually can look like? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm in that same camp with you. I mean, I grew up thinking abuse was the unfortunate outcome of someone being physically battered by their partner. Right. However, I've unfortunately learned firsthand that sometimes that emotional abuse can be even more damaging. Mm -hmm. So emotional abuse by a narcissist in particular, it's a range of tactics. It's gaslighting. It's future faking. It's a constant, you know, flipping the script. And when someone says, you know, a, a good example of gaslighting is, you know, if I said to you, like, you know, I love that, that little, like cute ivory vest you're wearing today. And, and you said, thanks. And then a few minutes later, you said, thanks so much for complimenting me. And I said back to you, I didn't compliment you. Mm. You said you like your vest. It's this constant mm. need to make you question your own reality. Right. And imagine if you were constantly exposed to anyone, constantly telling you you're crazy, you're losing your memory. That didn't happen. Mm. You didn't see that. You literally start to lose your sense of self because you can't trust yourself. And that is the goal of the narcissist is to break down your sense of self. Mm -hmm. So the emotional abuse is so it's so vast and so deep because at the end of the relationship, you're not only mourning the relationship, that everything about it was a lie. They create this false, you know, persona, what we call a mask. So the person wasn't even real. Mm. They never loved you. It was all a lie. All of your experiences were completely different than what you thought you were experiencing. So you're mourning all of that, along with mourning the fact that you don't know who you are anymore. You're and, completely lost. And what does future faking mean precisely in all of that? Mm. Future faking, that is, oh God, it's a brutal tactic. Mm. Future faking is when somebody paints this perfect picture that you fall in love with that's never going to happen. So for me, it was that he asked my dad to marry me. Three years later, he still would continue to talk about the proposal, our wedding. We were always planning what we were going to do. And then anytime we'd get in a fight, he'd say, see, you had to blow it up. I was about to propose. And this is what I was going to do. But- now I'm not going to because you picked a fight with me. Mm. So it was this constant moving the goalpost of a, a thing that was never actually going to happen. Right. But I believed that it was going to happen. Right. Yeah, Just dangling, dangling this future carrot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that could look different for everybody. It could be a new house, moving to a new city, you know, an item they're going to buy you or a change they're going to make. But imagine – you know, you love this person, you trust them, and you have these hopes and goals and, and dreams with them. And then to find out none of that was ever real. It was all just a way to manipulate you. Right. So that's that all plays into the abuse because at the end of it, you're just left feeling completely sucked dry, confused, emotionally withdrawn. And in most cases, you're really isolated Yeah. and you feel really alone. So what you described is like making you sort of lose they, they make you sort of lose your sense of self and lose your reality and not and feel like you can't trust your own judgment anymore, which is exactly what happens within cults um, right. and which is exactly how they keep people in the group um, or even mm -hmm. in the just you know relationship or the family or whatever it is. They make you stop 
feeling like you know what reality is and have to look to the partner or to the cult leader or whoever it is for all of your information. And they are basically constructing your reality for you, constructing your identity for you because you don't know who you are anymore. I have a quick question. Do you think somebody can be a cult leader without being a narcissist? The problem for me is the term narcissist is not like completely scientific at this era in social science. It's not defined exactly. Yeah. Right. I think that somebody could get drunk on their power and turn their empathy off without like maybe being the most extreme version of someone who has an antisocial personality disorder or whatever. But I think typically you're going to see a lot of overlap in those characteristics. Interesting. That's my answer. Just wondering. Sorry. <laughs> it's also vague. Like the DSM itself is like we talk about this a lot, but it's just a panel of people in a room deciding on stuff. So like we have a lot of work to do in terms of really defining that social science and, and identifying those patterns in a clear way. And it's so new. I mean, the yeah. DSM five for narcissistic personality disorder was only defined in 1980, and they're still making changes. There's still new research coming out, and it, they haven't really done the same prolific studies that they have in psychopathy and other areas of mental illness. And we know that this is a disorder and it's not curable, but there's still so much to be uncovered. And you look at narcissistic versus narcissistic personality disorder. Right. Yes, that person is narcissistic, but it's like this spectrum of where do you fall on all of it? And I did, I listened to uh, Dr. Romani's episode with you guys and you asked her that question. And like, is it like a cult? And she said, it's a cult of two. And for me, I I heard that and I was like, oh, gosh. But I felt like it was bigger than that Hmm. because everybody around the narcissist has to play into this facade they've created, the type Mm -hmm. of person they are, the person that they put out there for everybody to see, right? It's a you're with me or you're against me situation. That's why I use it always hate the phrase ride or die. Like I would hear that you're my ride or die because Mm. to me it was like, okay, well, if one of us is getting thrown out of this car, I know exactly which one it is. You know what I mean? And it wasn't just that because it was also family, friends, anybody else who had bought into this false persona and the people who still buy into it, they're still part of that you know, I say heavy air quotes cult because it's not truly a cult, but but it is that person's cult. They still have those people who are their devotees or what we call flying monkeys, those people who, despite the experience and the documentation, will still say it's all a lie. So I think yeah. it is very similar in the mindset, in that that sort of brainwashing or convincing people or coercion or however you want to put it, that they are something that they're not. That's a really good point. A narcissist isn't just going to be a narcissist with you or with one person. They are who they are and they're that way with everyone. They might just like have targeted one particular person to bear the brunt of their narcissism in that period or whatever. But they are who they are. They are who they are. It's just the abuse is limited to behind closed doors. So they're not going to be abusive to everybody because then, I mean, you know, they wouldn't get what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the people who buy into the persona and false facade and and think they're wonderful and perfect and this could never happen behind closed doors, that number for me seemed bigger than two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the people who I have met who I'm like 100% like if we're using this terminology, this person matches this terminology and they really did create like a bit of a little 
cult around them of people they consistently manipulated and had believing in this like facade version of themselves. Everyone, you know, they're accused of abuse over here, but they convince their friends over here that they're really trying to get better. They're really trying to get better. Meanwhile, they're still doing it over there on the other side, you know, like it is sort of far reaching in their lives. There's something really intoxicating or not intoxicating, but just like alluring about someone telling you that they know that they've done something wrong and they want to get better. Mm -hmm. We all want to believe in this, this version of people that can change. We want to believe in redemption. We want to believe in this, like, you know, movie-like character arc of, like, yes, but then they repented and then they made reparations and then they then they were a better they person. They fell in love hard enough and now they're not a narcissist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. In my experience, happen. though, narcissists aren't typically saying that they're working on themselves or mm. getting better unless what they're doing is telling someone who they have on the hook or that they've been with or have a relationship with, that they're working on themselves. They're they're trying to, you know, just take time to heal and grow. That's when they're basically keeping you on the hook, but they're also with someone else. Interesting. Mm. I think in Hollywood not that they're trying to convince everyone that they're trying to like do better because remember they're really under that belief system that they're perfect. That they're perfect. I did an episode this morning of my podcast with a self-aware narcissist who's on TikTok with millions of followers. And he was talking about himself and how, like you're Shocking. saying, parroting. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> talking about himself, sorry. But uh, he was talking about himself when he was a kid and how he felt like he had no identity. And to your point about the parroting, he's like, all of me is like, I picked this from this one. I picked this from this one. I pulled in this little bit. Mm. My hair's in dreads because my twin brother wore dreads. And I said to him, it's almost like you're like a giant whiteboard. Right. And, and you're just grabbing stuff and talking points and totally, you know, and then it makes up who you are. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting because we, we had two diagnosed sociopaths on our show a while ago and they kind of said a, a similar thing. They're just like watching what everyone else does, seeing what works for them and what is the most advantageous in terms of like personality traits and like kind of taking mm-hmm. those on. So, you know, that's there's that overlap we were talking about. And with a disordered person, there are those gaps those things that they don't have. So you look at someone with narcissistic personality disorder and being disordered, there is a a general lack or potentially no empathy or very little empathy or the empathy that they may have for themselves, but they're not going to give to you. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that that person's going to come across to everyone like, you know, a giant a-hole they're going to be the person who is volunteering at a children's charity or volunteering on the weekend at a animal sanctuary. They have learned empathy. Mm-hmm. So your point, it that's what makes them so convincing. Because if you walked up to someone and someone seemed great and you started talking and you're like, oh my gosh, I like him. He's so great. But, you know, the only downfall is like zero empathy, you know, like <laughs> you just void nothing. You wouldn't stay. You wouldn't go out on a second date with him. You wouldn't date him long term or in a cult situation, you wouldn't follow him. So these personality disorders, from my understanding and my experience, is that the disordered person has really learned from social cues, from watching everybody else, what those things are that they need to fill in the gap. And that's what makes them so convincing. Totally. And when you say disordered person, I'm assuming you're referring to the antisocial 
the people who have one of those disorders in that sort of category, the dark yes, triad or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I was just going to mention that I ha- I know another person who I suspect is maybe on that spectrum. And that person whose gender I shall not identify. Wondrous. Um, makes a real effort to be seen doing charitable work or doing favors for people. And then once they're no lo- they no longer have eyes on them, um, yeah, kind of just disappears. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually, so within the, you know, what they call it narc talk community on TikTok, where there are all these people educating about narcissism, you know, there's so many different ways that you hear narcissists referred to, and there's a lot of subsets and subcategories. So we think narcissist and we're like, okay, that's what it is. But there's the grandiose and Mm -hmm. there's very, there's all these little subsets. And that's actually one of them is that person who does seem so charitable and, you know, like this great part of society. But then again, it's, it's what happens behind closed doors. Totally. And typically, typically we can't identify them, but the person you can identify is the survivor is the person who lived with them and what their set of symptoms are. And that's usually the telltale sign because you're not trauma bonded in a normal breakup. What are the symptoms? What are the normal symptoms? Uh, Well, a normal breakup, like you're sad, right? Yeah. You're sad for a bit, but then like life moves on, you know, it just does. But in a trauma bond, a trauma bond happens when it starts at the love bombing, when this person is mirroring, a little bit mirroring you back to yourself. But most importantly, they just seem like the perfect partner ever. And it starts then and it's all intertwined in this really ugly, toxic soup of the perfect relationship, but also some little bits of trauma and other things that are dropped in there so that you become emotionally connected to them. And then there's this whole cycle of abuse where the love bombing, then once you seem like a real person, turns into devaluing. They treat you like shit. It gets awful. And then it comes back around to more love bombing. Oh, see, he can't be that bad or she can't be that bad. Like, it's great again. It's Mm -hmm. all fine. And then it's awful again. And then it's good again. And that creates a chemical dependency in the brain. And they say trauma bonding is actually harder to break than a heroin addiction. So if you look at someone, look at a heroin heroin addict that you maybe just plucked out of, you know, their situation, set them on the side of the street and look at how well they recover just sitting there by themselves, it wouldn't happen, right? It would be horrific to watch. And so the breaking of the trauma bond, the trauma bond is is caused, excuse me, by cognitive dissonance, which is that separation in your mind of, well, they seem like a, a good person. They have to be a good person. I love them. We've had all these great times together, but they do awful things when the reality is they're an awful person who does some good things. Mm -hmm. So that confusion in the mind along with the trauma bond, and now you've completely lost your sense of self, you potentially are isolated, all of that. Imagine giving all of that to one person to manage at one time and then watch how quickly they fall apart. Right. Mm -hmm. And that. That's what happens. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty strong individual. I've <laughs> owned my own company for over 10 years. I've been a homeowner for I'm not going to date myself a really long time. <laughs> like I am I'm independent. I got my shit together and yet, you know, I started just over 100 pounds and after I was trying like after the relationship when I didn't know what any of this was, what the symptoms were, why I was feeling the way I was, I lost 20 pounds. Wow. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep until 
I finally started doing the research and figured out why I was feeling the way I was feeling and sought out a great trauma coach. But if you see someone going through all of that, you couldn't possibly deduct that it was just them who was the problem. Trust Me is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. Yep, while you're listening to us talk, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, or maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you can be doing right now. Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy, and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven dollars Discounts. discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join the over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Let's just get into the like basics of your story. So start us at the beginning with the, your relationship that you experienced. Looking back now, how did it feel and what were the red flags that you didn't identify then? Were there red flags? Of course there were red flags, lots of red flags. And a friend said to me once, uh, not long after I went no contact, which is what you do with an abuser. You go no contact, you block them everywhere. You don't talk to them anymore. You make it impossible for them to reach you and insulate yourself. So that's what that phrase means. After going no contact, a friend was here. We stayed up late talking. And he said to me, there had to be red flags. And I said, there were. And he said, but from my understanding of everything you've told me, it sounds like they wave the green ones so much bigger, so mm -hmm, much wider mm -hmm. to mask them. And I said, yeah, I've gone back to think about it a million times. We actually worked together and it didn't start as a romantic relationship. It felt like a friendship. And we were together for about probably five months or so before anything happened. And there were red flags. There was um, definitely a a lack of emotional connection. And it wasn't that I didn't feel connected to him. I'm just an emotional feeling girl <laughs> who will cry at the commercial on TV. And that didn't seem to be there at all and didn't seem to be accessible. And that felt like a red flag. But then mm -hmm. again, I got that story that they use in the love bombing. And I found out about family history and things that had happened to them. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, that makes sense why he's not so like emotionally accessible because he went through all of this right. and hasn't even processed it. So you quickly early on start making those excuses for them in your mind. I did, right? I did that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. You do that. And then later you're like, shit, I did that to myself. But you make those excuses for right. them because like my friend said, the green flags are really big. So there were those. And then, you know, in hindsight, there were all kinds of things that I didn't notice or I didn't realize that that was a sign. That was a, a trait of narcissism. Even us moving from California to Texas, you know, I had asked him to move in. We'd been together for a year. I mean, I had a house in Los Angeles. He was living in an apartment. You guys know it's expensive to keep, you know, two places going when you're together every night. You might as well. So it was about a year in. It wasn't like we just met. And I asked him to move in and he said, no. Mm. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fine. 
and I didn't bring it up again. And then two weeks later, we were in bed on a Saturday morning getting out of bed and he said, so I'm moving in. And I was elated. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Really? You want to? And he said, yeah, but I'm also moving back to Texas. <laughs> and so for a second, like my, my mind started going a mile a minute. Like, wait, you're moving to Texas, but you're moving in? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, is my house just a crash pad? And I started just sobbing because I'm a girl <laughs> who is like that, who's emotional. And I just started crying because I was like, okay, well, we're not doing long distance. This isn't going to work. It's over. And I, I'm in love with this person. And as soon as I got upset, he was like, why, why are you crying? I mean, we're both moving. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, we're, of course you're coming with me and the dogs are coming with me. We're all going to go. And I got so caught up in that moment of him of being like, wait, what? And he was like, I want to go down there next weekend. We'll get a place. We'll get me settled. And then you'll figure out renting out the house. And it was all so quick that what I didn't do is stop, mm. stop and take a minute and be like, okay, wait, this doesn't make any sense because I was, I rightfully so was really emotional and I was upset and I realized now that was a red flag. He hadn't thought about that conversation before. He hadn't thought of like, no, we're doing this together because a normal relationship or a healthy relationship, I'm not going to say normal. No one's normal. In a healthy relationship, that person would say, okay, so here's the thing. I think I need to move back to Texas for, the, for X, Y, Z reasons, but I love you. And we've talked about getting married. We've talked about a future. Right. Is this something you'd be open to? Do you want to do this? Like, let's do this together. Not just... Yeah, come on, let's go. We're going. Call your mom right now. Let's see if she can dog sit next weekend. Let's go. And we literally packed up and moved his stuff a week later. And, and yes, my mom dogs out. And but those were the kinds of red flags that I overlooked because I was so completely trauma bonded and in love with exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah, the presentation of it too is just like confusing. Because mm -hmm. like, is that something that you kind of see a lot in going down this rabbit hole of narcissists? Like, do they say things that are just like confusing and like ha conflicting? Because you're like, wait, but you moving in isn't us moving somewhere else. Like that's a different what what's happening? <laughs> like I, it's almost yes. like preying on like there's a moment of just like straight up confusing you and you're having this heightened emotion. And so you're not like thinking at your best. And like, is that a common thing? Yes, it's actually a tactic. Mm. So there's a couple of different components of that. One, the there's a thing that it always makes me laugh being vegan. It's called word salad. I'm like, mm. I could eat salad. Yeah. Um, where it's like those words that they string together don't actually make sense. And they kind of talk in circles. And the goal is to confuse you. Right. To take to take you off the point you were trying to make. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So my point was that this how this doesn't work. Like this doesn't work. This is going to be over. But of course, he had an agenda it wasn't to go to Texas single and or for whatever reason, whatever his agenda was, I don't know. But word salad is this sort of like circular conversation. Um, the narcissist always wants to confuse you always because they have the upper hand. Mm -hmm. So you often feel like this person that you love and you trust. Remember, you love them and you trust them. You're not expecting that they're trying to manipulate you and gaslight you and right make you feel constantly confused, but that's what they're doing. Well, and, and I, I think with some narcissists that intense there and sometimes it's just the end result. Absolutely. I was just going to add that with cult leaders who do this, I think one of the problems is that people just assume that they're stupid, that they're not getting it, you know? So and, true. And that's I, – I always want to remind myself and other people that 
if it's not making sense, it's probably not making sense. Right. It's probably not yeah. you just like being an idiot. Yeah. Like maybe, right. but mostly probably sometimes. not. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, sometimes, you know, I I got to a point where I, I just questioned myself all the time because for years I was told you're losing your mind. Like, you don't remember anything. Mm. Babe, you're losing your memory. Like, you literally Ugh. don't remember anything I just said. And so when you hear that from someone you love over and over and over and over, then you don't actually trust your own judgment. You don't trust your own recollection because even when they are gaslighting you or they did say something and two seconds later they say to you, I didn't say that. You said that. Your thought isn't, no, I heard it. I'm standing up for myself. Your thought is, oh God, maybe I am losing my mind. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's after years and years and years of being exposed to it. Totally, yeah. I remember that very clearly from my emotionally abusive relationship where he would make a really mean joke and I would be like, you can't say that to me. And he'd be like, I didn't say that. And yes, I, I like, and it was early enough on that I was like, yes, you, you did. But then by the time we broke up, we had been together for a year and I felt completely like I didn't know. I literally felt like I didn't know where the ground was, like up was down, like my reality was completely confused. You were, like, were you just like, oh, there I go, just making up mean jokes about myself? Yeah, well, he, he's, he, I mean, I've said this before, but he started saying that I was emotionally abusive. Wow. Because I, I started saying it to him. And as soon as I started saying it to him, he turned it around on me. Right. And then, Always. and then, like, yes. there was a moment where he said that I hit him when I, which, which just didn't happen. I've never done that before. I would never do that. But um, but I like in my head, I I was like, did did I did did I do that? Did mm. I do that? Um, yeah. Which is kind of a lot of mind control and coercion and flipping the script is a big one. Like, I'll never forget there was a night we we're in this house that we lived in in McQueenie, and I said, I just feel like I have to walk on eggshells all the time. And he said, I have to walk on eggshells. I just mm. wrote you an email about it. Ugh. And I said, what do you write it? And I was looking at my phone. I'm like, wait, I don't, what do you mean you wrote me an email? And this is in the middle of a fight. And I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, I don't have an email. He's like, it's in my drafts. So oh I tried to get God. him to show, I was like trying to get around the desk to go see. I wanted to read it. I wanted to know what he had to say. Like, what could I do better? Right. That's what I was thinking at the moment. But mm -hmm. there was never an email. Right. Mm. It wasn't. It wasn't one, right. but it's that constant flipping the script and this circular conversation where they move the goalpost and say, you said it. And it's just, it's constant chaos and crazy making. And that doesn't happen outside of the house. Remember, everybody thought that we had the perfect relationship. Right. And this wasn't all day, every day either. This isn't, that's not how abuse works. Of we course. had a lot of really great experiences and really seemingly happy times. I now know most of them are probably a lie, but it's that the severity of the manipulation, the control, the coercion, the gaslighting, what it does to you, that's the problem. It's like, it's like hitting, I would say. It once is like, it just happened once is not an excuse. Mm. The mm. fact that it doesn't happen all day, every day doesn't make it okay. Right. But it is what makes you like stay kind of sealed to them in a way because you're like, yeah. well, that's not how they normally are. They Correct. just like were triggered in that moment or whatever. And like they're, or, you know, or I started the fight. It was my fault. Yeah. 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 With me, it was like, well, he just needs to work on that. He just needs to like, you know, go to therapy and become more self-aware. <laughs> and he did go to therapy twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> two yeah. sink two times. Um, 
just to appease me. We went to couples therapy, which didn't really work out the way either one of us was expecting it to. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the case. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we so he would he always told me that I was terrible communication, which is kind of ironic because mm. I own a digital marketing agency. Like we communicate information all day, <laughs> every day. That's my job is literally communicating. And I mean, after my podcast and all my videos, like I'm pretty sure everybody's clear on the fact that I'm able to just communicate mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like an open book. I have no problem telling you how I feel. Yeah. Although I will say over time, I became less and less comfortable telling him how I felt. You know, I wrote emails, I wrote letters, I did everything I could. You know, he'd be asleep upstairs and I'd literally be sleeping in the car with the dogs somewhere on the street because I didn't feel safe at home. And yet I'd still oh. be writing him a letter in the car of what I could do to change to make it better. Oh my gosh. That's how, excuse mm. my language, but fucked up all this stuff is. So There was a time where I was at a breaking point and typically they say the uh, survivor tries to leave seven times or more. And that may not just mean get out of the house. That might mean try to get them to leave or whatever it is. But in one of those times, I had basically said that if we didn't try to go to couples therapy, then I, I was out because he was again telling me what a terrible communicator I was. And I really felt like I was communicating my point well, but off to therapy we go. So he agreed. And we saw a couple's counselor. We saw him, I think, five or six times. It wasn't extensive, five or six times. And I told him when I called that it was about communication. I felt like we could improve communication. Typically, I got there after because his office was closer to the therapist. So they always kind of had a few minutes alone to chat first. I always wanted to know, but they would never tell me what they talked about. (laughs) And I would, you know, I'd get there and we'd talk and whatever. And that was that. And then in December of 2020, yeah, December of 2020, I guess he had a conversation with his mom who, again, excuse my language. I have no filter. She told him basically shit her get off the pot. Like you've been together all this time. Keep talking about marrying her. You ask your dad, like you keep saying you're going to buy a ring. You've been planning on buying this ring for years and years. And it's time to either do this or let this woman move on. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> right? good mom. And, but actually, eh, well, good know, mom in that moment. <laughs> in that moment. Good Thank move, you. mom. We're going to go with that moment. Yeah. Um, in that moment, she had my back and he said, you're right. And so he came home and told me the conversation and I looked at him and said, she's right. I think you need to leave. You have to go. And I lost it and he didn't know what to say. And, and I basically said, you need to go. I need, a, I need some space. Like I, I have to figure out what I want now mm-hmm. because what you didn't say is you're right. I want to marry her. Let's do this. So you need to leave. And it was Christmas. I was out in the country, completely isolated. I really didn't have any friends out there, no family. I was building my house in Austin. So we were about 30 minutes from anything. I would talk to cows every day. That's how isolated Mm, I was. I'd go out back and talk to the cows in the neighboring lot. Mm. And um, so I was alone. It was snowing. I had our three dogs and he went with his family on their family ski trip. And I stayed home. And the couple's therapist asked if we could talk. And I said, sure. And I basically started crying right away. And I told him that he had left, but he knew, I think, he would be back. And at that point, I didn't know which end was up or if he'd be back or if I wanted him back. And that's when he said, um, do you know what abuse by a narcissist is? Mm. 
And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, do you know what gaslighting is? And I said, no. And he said, do you know what narcissistic personality disorder is? And at this point, like the no's were more, you know, coated with heavy sobs than anything else. And I was sitting at my desk. So I started Googling the terms and I spent an hour on the phone with him. I, I think I said four words. I just sobbed the whole time. He told me staying with him was emotional suicide. Wow. And that I had to get out. He said, I'm watching. He said, I've only known you for five or six weeks and I'm watching you die. Wow. You've got, you've got to get out. And I didn't, I think I went into shock a little bit after that because then the love bombing came back. Right. And he said he wanted to have a baby mm. and I was 44. Mm. So I took him back, right. but it only lasted for about five months after, which is the therapist must have known. And I've actually talked to him since then. Um, even though he's not my regular therapist, I have spoken to him since then. And at the time he said, I give this six months because you won't exist in six months. You won't be able to handle this anymore. Like you're breaking down, you're lashing out. There's a thing called reactive abuse. I don't know if you've heard of that. What does that mean precisely or exactly? I don't know. Precisely? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, precisely is a fine word. Reactive abuse is where somebody knows where all your buttons are Mm. and they push them, push them all. They push them all so that you react and that you go big in your reaction Uh and you're emotional and you're heightened. And then when you do that, they come down to like a level one and say, what are See? you doing? You're doing this to yourself. Right. Yeah. What are you doing? I'm not fighting with you. You're fighting with yourself. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And that would happen to me a lot in those, in the end, because I just, I had so much resentment and anger and confusion and all the stuff that have been building up for five years that it was like a boiling pot. Like I'd boil over. Right. Right. And you know what I mean? And that's what it is. So I think he started to see that happening. So he predicted six months, but it was actually five months later that wow. the, the end came. And what was that final was- ending moment? What what caused that? What caused it? Um, or how did you we- break free officially, I guess? Yeah. Well, it was just, you know, it was a really awful day that I, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and ended up, and it was a big fight. And in narcissistic abuse, they call it a discard or a reverse discard. Ooh. So whether they're either done with you and they discard you or they don't want to be the bad person and they will push you and push you and push you until you do the dirty work for uh, them, mm-hmm. which we all know happens in breakups too, you know, where somebody doesn't want to, but they've pushed you so far that it's like they give you no choice. Of course. So I think it was a little bit of both. You know, we had had a really bad day and had a fight and I just saw it getting worse and worse through the day. We were at an event. He was, um, he was very good at the silent treatment. He did the silent mm. treatment all day. I know <laughs> that very well. <laughs> <sighs> I was so awful. And then we were fighting when we got home and, you know, he just randomly, I don't even know if he had a plan. I don't know if he planned on the outcome, but just out of nowhere, he was like, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. And I went into shock. And then he came actually to like this area where I am. I have a new couch now, but there was a couch here and he laid down and it was like 2.30 in the morning. And I was like, what are you doing? He was like, I'm going to sleep. And I was like, no, you're not. You're going to get the fuck out of my house. Yeah. I don't know what came over after. Like somebody came over me. A friend of mine said, she's like, you went all after school special on him. <laughs> <laughs> and I started packing stuff. I think I snapped, honestly. Like I started packing things and told him just to take whatever he could take and to get out of my house. Because even though we had built this together, I built this house, so he left. And then it was, um, 
nine, eight or nine months of hell, just back and forth, which mm-hmm. is what's very typical. I don't know. And you guys would have to tell me if, if it's similar in like a cult like situation, but with a narcissist, it's never a clean break and they will continue to come back over and over and over. And then you crave them and you text them and you call them and you miss them. And then you say, you're not going to do it anymore and tell them to leave you alone. And then they're back again. So for me, that was about eight or nine months of that. Yeah. yeah I had, I had almost a year of my ex tr- telling me he wanted to marry me and me trying to cut it off and him like saying he was still in love with me. And then meanwhile, I found out he was sleeping with his assistant the whole time. Oh, fun. Yeah. I think, I think in cults, it's very uh, common for them to send other followers after you, you know, like, Oh, the, I want to have lunch with you. And where are you? What's happening? Mm -hmm. And all of that. Yeah. Yeah, It goes on forever. Or ice them out. Uh, by not letting anyone contact them from their family or community who's still a part of the group to get them right. to make them come back because they're so alone, basically. Yeah. So it's very similar because you would mm-hmm. call that a Hoover. So you're basically sending out flying monkeys to check on you, see what you're doing, to Hoover you back in, to have mm-hmm. those conversations when you start to miss it. Or the other one's a reverse Hoover where you're completely cut off and then you crave it because you miss that connection to get you to come back and do the dirty work for them. I want to talk about feeling like you're crazy and questioning your memory for a second, because I I just think it's really interesting as someone who like after a relationship prior to my current wonderful, healthy one, Mm -hmm. um, I like developed, I like started questioning my own brain and I don't want to blame it on the relationship completely. Like I obviously had, tendencies and patterns earlier in my life that just like never got to the point of being I think it's called um they were subclinical at that point they had not like gotten to the point of being a disorder of any kind but after that relationship which triggered all of my stuff yes (laughs) um and one of the main things was like one of the main things that I struggled with last year in my uh, OCD and anxiety disorder was that I would question my own thinking to such an extreme extreme degree that I just I would literally constantly think I was losing my mind or that I was going to lose my memory and it would give me so much anxiety to even call up memories of incidents that had happened because I didn't trust my own memory that much. And I don't, yeah. I don't blame that person completely. I do think it was a, a combination of factors, but it certainly didn't help. <laughs> yeah. Toxic soup. Mm. Yeah, I felt like that too. I had an appointment with the gynecologist <laughs> and I, <laughs> I asked him, I said, I might need a referral. And he was like, what are you talking about? He was like, for what? You're fine. And I was like, I wanted a referral because I wanted to be checked for early onset Alzheimer's. Mm girl I relate losing my mom I was so it was just was but the funny thing was is is that when you're in that situation you actually aren't also thinking very clearly yeah because if if I looked at the situation I was still running my business totally still managing 12 clients and I have to remember a lot of random stuff for 12 different clients and my whole team and my three dogs and this person who I live with like no, it was if if I were in a solid state of mind, I could have been like, okay, well, the only time and place that I think I'm losing my mind is in this mess with you. Mm. 
but every other part of my life is actually going really well. Mm. So it's not Alzheimer's. I'm not losing my mind, but in the moment you're, you're such a mess. You can't think of that or think of that way, you know, how you're going to get through it. And mm. someone actually, for me recommended afterwards, because a lot of that started to wear off pretty quickly when I had some time alone. Mm-hmm, Once mm-hmm. I was able to like ground myself, mm-hmm. then all of that seemed to fall away pretty fast. And someone recommended the book Out of the Fog by right. Dana Morningstar. And yeah. I, I know that's a really popular book, especially in this conversation that we're having. But that fog for me just faded away as soon as I went no contact after that eight or nine months of the back and forth of texting, mm-hmm. not texting, ghosting, mm-hmm. all of it. Once I was, I chose me, they call it your freedom day. Mm. And I'll never forget the date. It was December 23rd last year. This year will be my one year anniversary. Wow. Once that happened, I know, <laughs> isn't that crazy? It's like the eve of Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> but by January, you know, I was still grieving, but I started to feel like myself again. It doesn't take long for that to go away. And for me to realize that, I'm not losing my mind. I'm not losing my memory. Like I just went through some really serious shit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I I was, I was like calling people up to try to get a brain scan. <laughs> Literally wow. like, thought there was something wrong, like sincerely wrong with my brain. It turns out I just have OCD, but uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But even still think about like the depths of that, that you would even think I yeah. need to have a brain scan, like your mm. mindset at the hand of somebody else. It, that just, it, it, excuse the pun, but it like blows my mind <laughs> that this is happening and that it's to some degree like kind of okay because it's still happening all day, every day to people. It just doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. I mean, it is It is funny to, yeah, I remember it's like saying to my therapist, I feel like there's something wrong with my brain. And she was like, are you getting your work done? I was like, yes. She's like, are you maintaining your relationships? I was like, yes. She's like, are you getting, are you accomplishing everything you need to do every day? Yes. But yeah. you still, you know, it's so funny. Anyway, uh, little tangent. I just wanted to know that I was eating. It's all in my, in my mind every time I would talk to her, I'd be like, did you eat today? That was her big concern. <laughs> or, yeah, <laughs> that's a good one, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think are good traits to have to be like, I don't know, on defense against people like this? I don't know that there's traits, but I think something that you need to have that I didn't was strong boundaries. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because in any toxic relationship, you want to know if it's toxic, you want to know if they're a narcissist, set a boundary. Mm-hmm. They don't like that. Mm-hmm. Right. You'll find out real fast. Set What's a that? boundary and they'll just show their true colors. Yeah. Or yeah. tell them no. Ooh, right. Yeah. Right. It's the, the ultimate test. In a healthy relationship, if I said to you like, no, I don't mm-hmm. want to do that. Or no, I'm not going to, not in a rude way, just in a like, no. Mm-hmm. Then they'll say, Okay. Well, you do want to do this instead, but wow. someone who's toxic is going to convince you that the way that they want to do it, it's going to happen that way. It's not going to be your way. So a boundary or the word no, no is a one word. It's all you need. That's such a good point. Yeah. In our sociopath episode, we asked them like, what can you look out for in a sociopath? And they were like, you kind of can't. They're really good at what they do. And all that you can do is have really firm boundaries and and, and what and like – Pay attention to the behavior, and if it's making you uncomfortable or crossing one of your boundaries, then then you stop it. Then you put up 
Yeah. A boundary. You say that. <laughs> yeah. Right. And when the, when the words don't match the behavior. So like you asked earlier about future faking. Okay. Well, you know, you've always talked about this thing that we're going to do or this place we're going to go, but it's been two years, three years, four years. We're not doing this. It's a lie. It's not happening. Like they tell on themselves, right. but that's where, that's where the hard part comes in is that for most of us, we don't know what to look for until after we've experienced it. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're so easily susceptible to it because we don't even know that we are susceptible to it until after we've been through it. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think a lot of times people will think about, um, people who end up in a relationship with a narcissist as like them having some like weakness or vulnerability. But it's like a lot of the time you look at the history of that person's relationships and they were normal until they got manipulated by someone who's really good at manipulating, you know? Yeah. And people say all the time, this one really kills me. I see so often, not only on my videos, but other people's videos or, you know, in comments, you know, you should pick better. Mm -hmm. This isn't a case of saying, okay, who's the most toxic one in the room? I'll take you. <laughs> you know what I mean? These are people who are very convincing yeah. and very charming and very altruistic and all the things that we want in a partner. Yeah. And then they break you down over time. So yes, there are traits that we can look out for. And most of us are pretty hyper vigilant after an totally. experience like this. Yeah. Right. You're like screening for, for traits, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I just think you kind of have to take what you've learned and, and roll with it into the next. Yeah. You know, narcissism is a spectrum, but a narcissistic comment could be like, oh, I look great today. Like I'm having a really good hair day. Like that could be considered narcissistic, but that's healthy. Right. right? That's just that's confidence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just confidence. So we look at that as a healthy version right. of narcissistic because there's no intent to hurt anybody else. Right. It's not grandiosity that's ultimately future faking or a lie. You know, you can have goals. Right. Sorry, my dog is itching himself. You can have <laughs> goals without it being grandiosity. The goal would be, you know what, I'm going to work really hard. And in the next 10 years, I'm going to buy myself a boat. Yeah. That's the goal. Grandiosity is I'm going to have a yacht. I'm going to get a yacht by next year. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Well, what's the plan to get a yacht? Well, there's no plan. But I'm like, just I'm entitled to, to a yacht. Yeah, exactly. Right. So those, those are the differences of like a healthy narcissism would be healthy goal setting, healthy sense of self, healthy being able to kind of reflect back and have a positive outlook versus it becoming to that other level. And can you be self-aware? Yeah. I actually think there is such a thing as self-aware narcissists. I know two who mm. are self-aware narcissists and it is not an easy journey. They are not healed or mm. fixed. They still do the same things, but there's an awareness about what they do or why they do it. I would call them unicorns. Right. I do because the narcissist isn't like, Oh, I'm going to go to therapy and fix myself because they're already perfect. Right. 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 Or they're looking to fool the therapist to then convince them that the partner's crazy. There's uh -huh. a lot of integrity. Oh, yeah. That's a scary I've heard one. stories about that. I mean, I was a couples therapist once for a couple that one of them was a narcissist. Really? And I, yeah. I could see the little wheels turning in one of the couple, like one of the 
individuals' heads trying to manipulate me. And I was like, not today, Satan. (laughs) Not today. (laughs) Say, sir. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a thing. You, you absolutely could be self-aware, but I, anytime that I talk about it, or I've obviously had those two on the podcasts, I mean, I feel like I have to start the podcast with a disclaimer that this is not false hope. Mm -hmm. Your narcissist isn't going to magically become Mm. self-aware. Or if they are, they might not care. (laughs) Like they might be aware that they have those tendencies and it not be meaningful to them in any way. Mm-hmm. There's um, a guy I follow on TikTok and he's self-declared as self-aware. He's in therapy and he talks about the things that he does, but there's zero empathy there. Does not seem to give two shits. I mean, he gives really good explanations. They're very clear and they really do walk through what he does and why he does them in the moment, but there doesn't seem to be any sense of guilt or remorse. It's so it's so interesting. Like I'm very drawn to I haven't I don't think I've been in a relation a relationship romantically with a narcissist, but I'm very drawn to female narcissists in this very mm-hmm. odd way that I'm always like, oh God, now I'm here again. And <laughs> I just feel like there's something I don't know. I, I just wonder what it is. They're alluring. They're alluring. I know. They're, they're so fun. fun. They're so fun. They're magical. <laughs> yeah. I mean they seem they're like always the life of the party, right? Yeah. They've got, they've always got something great going on or interesting going on. And mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. beauty all around them and they're really alluring. Yeah. 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 That's a problem. Yeah. Totally. I feel like if I see someone who's alluring now, I'm like, ew. Yeah. I'm like, right, did you just say something charming? <laughs> Gross. Right. And then I mace right? them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good sketch. Like Thank that. You. Let's make it. Thanks right? um, so <laughs> yeah, we all want that feeling of like lightning in a bottle. But my therapist is always like, you know, we want that feeling, lightning in a bottle. That person who's like so charming and so amazing to be around and you have butterflies and all those things. And she's like, but think about the amount of power and not in a positive way of lightning in a bottle. Right. Think about how destructive mm, that is. Love that. I was listening to a podcast and Dr. Paul Conti, who is certified at Stanford and then Harvard, he said narcissists are the most destructive human beings on the planet. And it's hard because I guess that was my point. I feel bad for them, especially when they're women. Cause I'm like, you're narcissistic because you didn't get something in your childhood, but you can't think about it like that. No. Yeah. Don't, Cause they know they're hurting you. They just don't care. Yeah. I know, but I don't think they don't I know. care because I struggle, nobody cares. I struggle with that too. I'm like, well, clearly, you know, the people I think of in my head that did experience their uh, abuse as children. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I'm like, well, they just need to heal from it, you know? Yeah, but they can't. But it's not our jobs to do that. And they probably won't. It's not our job and they're adults and they can and the tools oh. exist, but they choose not to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what would you say – to someone who might be listening who's experienced this kind of thing? You're not alone. You know, my my recommendation is to do the hard work. It's painful. It's brutal. Finding a great trauma therapist is critical. Or finding if, you know, not everyone's in a financial position to go to therapy. There are groups. There's groups on Facebook. There's so many people on TikTok. Like, there are resources. But I... I feel like that is a a resounding theme that I hear over and over and over again about how alone people feel. And this is not just women, men too, how alone they feel in the recovery and 
the thing that I would want them to know, sorry, as my dog shakes, <laughs> is that they are most certainly not alone. <laughs> Babies. They are so cute. I have cute. three dogs and now they're all like on top of me. I love them. Um, I, I love that. And, and you know, one thing, and then we can wrap it up, but one thing that I'm remembering about me coming out of my harmful relationships was I didn't want to categorize them as abusive. I didn't want to label them in a, in like one of these terms that could make them seem like a bad person. I really was yeah. resistant to that. And what would, yeah. if someone's experiencing something like that, do you have thoughts or advice? I understand because I felt the same way. You know, and I have to remind myself even now because there's moments where I, I want to think in my head of like, it couldn't, I, I mean, how do I think of the person that I loved that much right. as an abuser? And that's really tough because that's something we have to wrestle with ourselves. But what I would say is, you know, your experience, the label doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. It just doesn't. It's not about the label. It's not about whether they're a narcissist or, you know, whatever type of abuse that you've incurred. All, all that matters is does their action, do their actions, excuse me, <laughs> my grammar, do their actions match their words? How do you feel? And if any of those things you're answering, no, this doesn't feel right. No, this doesn't ever happen the way they say it's going to happen. You know, trust yourself. And, and that's really all you can do is, is trust yourself. Yeah. Mm. Amen. And, and trust not, not me. me. <laughs> We tried. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing and being so vulnerable yeah. and letting people in so that they can learn and grow too. It's so cool to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks yeah, so much. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All righty, Megan, can you think of a time that you have appropriately asserted your boundaries with someone who is leaning narcissistic maybe? All the time. Um, oh, give us an example. Sure. Right now in my life, I have really cut out most of the narcissists, but I used to be a magnet for them that was not a joke, you know, like, and maybe I was labeling them myself. Maybe they're totally normal people, but I will give an example <laughs> of the last time my narcissistic friend had me over. It was to do her a favor. And I was like, I have to leave at this time. And then when it was time for me to leave, she was like, you can't leave. And I was like, well, I have to, I told you to, I had to. And she's like, well, then you'll just have to come back when it's done and finish the favor. And I was like, no, oh, I feel like I remember this story. And I was like, I'm never talking to you again. And I, did, and I didn't, I like, wow. yeah, it was just, it was good. It that's was like, amazing. that's insane. And, um, thank you for showing me because it was something that she could have done by herself and to, to begin with. And so I was like, wow, I'm good. What about you? Any, any hey, narcissistic? Uh... Uh, I think that maybe an example of that would be when I refused to drop my life and go on tour with Marilyn Manson after only knowing him for two mm -hmm, weeks. Mm -hmm. um, after which he promptly like moved on and found like some teenager to go out with. Right. Um, but I, it was super tempting. But I was also like, this is crazy. And this person is obviously very unhealthy. It's fun. It would be fun. But also like this seems like maybe not the smartest thing to do. I have like shit to do. Um, yeah. And so I you. didn't. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, at the time, after I said no, though, I was like, and then he started ghosting me. Of course, I was like, wait, should I have? Should I go? What, what, did, I, did I make a mistake? You know, well, but, obviously you should have gone. I mean, 
<laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That was I, at that point. I had been out with enough like of that like yucky sort of all-consuming celebrity type. I didn't know he was an actual abuser at that point, right, obviously. Right. Um, but I still like got the vibe from him. So I'm glad I chose not to let my life be completely consumed by this person who we now know is incredibly abusive. Thank um, God. Yeah. They are around. They exist. They exist. But, but they're not everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Great note to end on. Let's uh, do that. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode. We can't wait to see you again next week. And as always, remember to follow your gut, watch out for red flags, and never, and never, ever, ever, trust me, trust me. Bye. Bye. Trust Me is produced by Kirsten Woodward, Gabby Rapp, and Steve Delamater. With special thanks to Stacey Para. And our theme song was composed by Holly Amber Church. You can find us on Instagram at Trust Me Podcast, Twitter at Trust Me Cult Pod, or on TikTok at Trust Me Cult Podcast. I'm Ula Lola on Instagram and Ola Lola on Twitter. And I am Megan Elizabeth 11 on Instagram and Babraham Hicks on Twitter. Remember to rate and review and spread the word. 